Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Biblical Studies concentration at Ozark is for those who want to study the Bible at the deepest level. Your professors will guide you in the biblical languages and explore different methodologies of interpretation. The Biblical Studies concentration will make the text come alive, saturating you in the Word so that you can be transformed by the Word. So what's the next step? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features Lion Share with their second track session from last year's forum. We've got the founder and president, Dave Buring, talking to us about helping people that you're discipling have that light bulb moment go off for them on how to disciple other people within their vocation. There's some incredible stuff in here, as always, when Dave just opens his mouth. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go ahead and jump in. This is Dave Buring with Lionshare. So can I just ask how many of you this forum this year is your first time being here? Okay, and some of you I recognize from being here the last session. So good, welcome. We're glad you're here. So... um, so this session, what, what we want to talk about, the, the last session we uh, had an interview with Kent, who is the um, chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just to kind of provoke a conversation about um, marketplace and also bridging it into church life, like paying attention to those that are called to um, be paying attention as pastors to the marketplace leaders in their church. So this session, what we want to do is just kind of go a step further and really talk about vocational disciple-making. And um, tomorrow morning, um, I've never done this session before, so it'll be a first for me, but I I'm, will be doing something like it in Cleveland in a few weeks, so it's, it was good for me to take time for you and those in Cleveland. But we're going to talk about how, as a pastor, do you um, missionalize people in your church to start making disciples in the marketplace? And so we'll talk about that uh, tomorrow morning as well. So, hey, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge uh, what John 15, 5 says, apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing. And we acknowledge that. But we also know that it says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we lean into those two truths at the same time. And right in the middle of that, Lord, we tell you we love you. It's a privilege to be here. I just would pray, Lord, that you would use this time as we talk and converse to provoke us as we think about this whole area of reproducing disciples within uh, the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on in and and join us. So I'm going to start by um, telling you three different stories, all right? And then we'll jump into this. So I want you to meet my friend John. He's a friend of Lori's and mine up in Cleveland, Ohio. This is Lori over here. Lori's somebody you should talk to. She's uh, heard she's got an interesting job. She's a manager of large tours. So Donnie and Marie Osmond, Blue Man Group, David Copperfield. She'll help you on some of those things in life. All right. And her heart for disciple making within her vocation. All right. So, so this is our friend, Lori's friend and my friend. His name is John. He's a cardiologist. 
I met John in about 1993, so we're coming up on 30 years of friendship. We were both younger then, and um, John and I began to talk about the things of God. He had kids that would come to our high school camps, and so he would volunteer to be the sound guy, I think probably just to keep an eye on his own kids. And, uh, but John, John and I built a relationship uh, through this time. And one of the things he came to me on is he said, Dave, I'm, um, I'm really good at what I do. He wasn't boasting, it was just true. He's like still one of the very smartest men I have ever met in my life. He is just a smart man. And, and he said, I, I do good at what I do, but he said, I'm not a very good relator to people. And he said, I know Jesus loves people, and I just realized that I'm not real good at that. So he said, will you help me? Well, you know, this was at the time, John would have been probably, you know, mid-40s, so he's, you know, humbling himself, seeing a need in his life, he wants to grow. John has grown in this area of his life. Now, he'd be the first one to still tell you that he's a task-first kind of dude, which is a good thing when you're having your heart being operated on. You don't want to say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee while I, right? Okay. But, but John is different now because he told me, he said, before I would go in, checked on the patients. It wasn't a money-driven thing of just, okay, you're good, next, you're good. He just didn't know the relational protocols of the kingdom of God. Now, if you had heart surgery, John would walk into the room the next day and he will ask you about both of your hearts. How's your heart? How are you feeling? Now, here's what I saw. Here's what, what's good. Here's what we fixed. And then he would literally sit down with you and say, now let me talk about your other heart. How are you doing? Totally changed the way he approaches what he does. Okay? And he would tell you, I'm still working on that, but because of his high task side, but he's a different guy. That's his words to me. I'm a different guy because I learned the ways of God and how God values that relationship, not just my task. Okay? How did he get that? He humbled himself and he had someone disciple him in it. So this is Sarah. Sarah is a country artist here in the Nashville area. And I met Sarah. Cheryl and I met her in mm, 2000. She was at our church. And she had a brand new song that had come out that had hit the charts. And she was excited about it. And she at the time was in her early 30s. And um, she called me one day and said, would you pray for me? And um, I said, sure. Like, what about? She said, we're going on a tour. And my family and I, and we're going on what's called a radio tour, I said, I don't know what that means. And she said, well, as a new country artist, they take us around to different um, stations, country stations around the country. She was going to be on like six weeks. And um, they interview me, they play my songs, they, and exposure, got it. Okay, so let's pray. So we pray. Well, I have a habit of when I'm praying, I'm also listening. And I felt like the Lord prompted something. So when I say amen, I said, hey, Sarah, can I ask you something? Are you first a disciple of Jesus or are you first a country artist? And she said, I'm first a disciple of Jesus. I said, okay, that's what I thought. So let's talk about that. And I said, you understand, right, that as a follower of Jesus, regardless of your status in the world around you, we serve. We serve other people because that's what Jesus did and what he asked us to do. She said, no, I understand that. So I said, can I suggest something to you on this tour? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So I said, so imagine like your bus pulling up to San Antonio, Texas, and the station there, and the doors open, and you know what's going to happen. When you come out, people are there with their pads of paper and want you to sign something and get... So I said, so do this first. When the doors open, step off the bus and eye those people kindly with your eyes, knowing that you'll come back to them. 
but you need to pay attention because there was the station manager, the owner, somebody invited you. And I want to encourage you to go look for where they are. Again, you're acknowledging people kindly, but you look for where you find them. You walk up, you don't assume they know who you are. And you extend your hand, you say, hi, I'm Sarah, and this is my husband, this is my kids. And then say something like this in your own words. While we're here today at your station, would you please tell us how we can serve you? She said, I'll do it. Totally changed her life. Six weeks later when she came back, she still does that today with her band. She just told me her daughter just released an album mm, two weeks ago, and her son now is, is playing guitar in a band. And she said, Dave, they had a photo shoot. And guess who was the person putting makeup on and making sure they didn't have a shine? She said, it was me. She said, it was my opportunity to serve my own kids. See? And so how did this happen? They had a disciple maker in her life that began to point her to, here's the ways of God. Okay? It changes how she looks at things. Changes how she does things. Okay? Let me introduce you a third one. So <clears throat> there's a young man I met <clears throat> in the about 2003 or 4, um, we would take, we were at Belmont Church <clears throat> here on the pastoral staff, and we'd take the juniors and seniors, about 30 of them, that agreed to walk through an intensive discipleship thing that we called Belmont Team Training, and they, they dove in, and these young ones were being trained. We took them up to D.C. for four or five days, said, okay, you got to get, you know, dresses and skirts, ladies, and guys, you got to get a tie on, and a, we took them to a bunch of, you know, places from, you know, in the Pentagon to meeting the Secretary, you know, of Defense to in the White House to all different kinds of things through uh, doors that we had opened. And during that time, um, I met a, a young guy who was a part of a church whose um, the pastor's wife I, was in my youth group years ago. And um, as I met this, this young guy, I found a, a sincere heart. I found a hunger for God. And we began to have a conversation, and he explained to me that he had loved Jesus and was growing, but had never really been discipled. And so we entered into a disciple-making relationship. And one of the first things I gave him to read was a book on the fear of the Lord. Okay, now the fear of the Lord is, I like to define it as reverencing and referencing God in all that you do. We reverence him, he's God, I'm not. And we reference him, we don't live in presumption. Okay, And so he read this book, and I remember his eyes... Uh, you know, like this when we were talking about it and how that impacted the way he did things. And he, he said to me things like, so this means I can't ever kind of manipulate or exaggerate. I need to walk in truth in the fear of the Lord. And, and I said, yes, that's what it means. And he began to shift how he did things with others based on the understanding of the ways of God. So I'm not going to meaning to embarrass him, but that's Darren, who's our executive director standing right there. He worked in the White House for many years, and he can tell you about his own journey in that. But how did he get there where he could see what he would do different? Somebody discipled him to look at it different. And so what I want to say to us is, do you take the time, whether you're a vocational leader and you find disciple makers that are willing to shape you, or you're a pastor, and you're snooping out those in the vocations that you can begin to pour these things into? Because it doesn't happen accidentally. And, and I couldn't agree with Jim Putman more <clears throat> on the point of, you know, a lack of discipleship is what we've got now. This is what it looks like. And so imagine, with godly imagination, what it could look like if you would find people that are maybe a titch older than you, a titch further along in the Lord, a titch further along in their vocation, that we would be willing to invest the ways of God in you, to shape your character 
so that when people interacted with you, it was like they got a little touch of Jesus because of the way that your character is, see? But this stuff doesn't happen accidentally, all right? The difference made in the lives of these people is they had a further along follower of Jesus deliberately disciple them in the ways of God, both personally and vocationally. So obviously, you know, it impacted John's life, you know, just in his relationship with his wife and his kids, as well as vocationally. It, it impacted Sarah with her own band, not just the radio stations used. It impacted Darren and how he lived his personal life, not just when he was out in the public eye, okay? We often have a church culture that views getting saved as the end game. After all, their sins are forgiven and they're going to heaven. However, as much as we rejoice in that reality, we need to also be ready to reproduce the life of Jesus within them. Okay, do you think that way? Okay, that's, this, is, this is kind of disciple making 101, isn't it? It's like, okay, the basic thing here is when, when Joey gives his life to Jesus, how are you going to put, put him in a family relational structure where he can begin to grow spiritually? Or Susie finds, like, like oftentimes, like some of you guys know who Henry Blackaby is. So I've had a relationship with Henry over the last decade because of a project we did together. I'll never forget Henry saying to me, you know, and so when he said this, I, my eyes kind of got big in my ears. He said, we made a great mistake in the Baptist church. I'm going, he's not talking about his Baptist church. He's making this statement. I'm going, uh oh, where's he going? He said, we taught our pastors how to win souls really well. We made the mistake of not teaching them instead how to make disciples. Because when you make disciples, you get souls. So he said, we celebrate baptism, we celebrate, but, but then it's go to a Sunday school class. It's not the intentionality of discipleship. I thought that was a weighty comment from, you know, at the time, you know, it was him and kind of Beth Moore, two of the louder voices of that tribe in the body of Christ. And here's Henry acknowledging, wow, here's the deal. All right. You know this, Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he saves this to the very end, the very end of his journey. And he tells them to go and wait on the Holy Spirit, to be prepared and empowered to go make disciples, because making disciples is not an easy thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do it, okay? Now, just take a look at this. Have you ever really paused to consider how we got to where we are today? And, and these are all familiar things to us, right? Social strife, racial issues, political tension, the loss of God's truth as a reference point, uh, picking up offenses, like we're collecting, you know, our favorite hobby thing, uh, not hearing each other. This was an amazing one to me. Um, you know how I, I have a lot of 20s and 30-somethings to me are saying, Dave, I don't have examples of how to agree disagreeably. All I know is if you're not like me, you're out. And, and we have to model this again. What does that look like? To listen, to, to disagree, but to so respect the other person that you'll take the time to listen to the point of understanding. See? Um, how about you throw in a global pandemic, economic shifts, natural disasters, and a spiritual thinness and faulty foundation in God's church? I was on a call about six months ago with leaders from around the world, and we were talking about what are we observing about the church. And I can't tell you how many people were saying this has totally exposed us underneath. Like our engine of disciple making is just not here. And, and therefore, people are struggling, we're struggling. And so then, you know, the good news, like Jim said, it's, or, or Dave said, 
you know, the reality is we're kind of in a dress rehearsal moment. There's been a little bit of a pause where we have this opportunity to step in and do something different. So we need to pay attention to this. We are where we are today as a people, and I'll pick on our own country as a nation, because of the church's lack of engagement with obeying the great commission of Jesus to make disciples. Therefore, we have fewer disciples of Jesus walking the planet whose character reflects his, whose ways of doing things reference his ways, and whose life's mission includes his mission of making disciples. Because we haven't made disciples, we just don't have a lot of people out there. Like there's a lot of young ones out there that are crying for disciple making. I have, I have a lot of um, older ones in their 40s and 50s that say to me, Dave, where can I go to get discipling? Because they never had it. They desperately want it, but there's not enough people around doing it. So there's been a lack and there's an opportunity that we have that also ties here into the vocations. Okay, So think about this with me. Jesus asked his disciples to reproduce his character, ways, and mission in others who would follow him. Now let me stop there. When I say the character of God, I mean who he is. Just, kind, faithful, merciful, all those attributes of God's character. How do you disciple somebody to look more like that? That's, that's a key thing. Because you want somebody, because remember in Acts, um, they made the comment, hey, these guys might not be as educated. I mean, they hadn't had formal training like some of the Pharisees and others had had. But they said this, we can tell they've been with Jesus. The people that you're discipling, do they actually look more like Jesus? Or do they just walk out being able to spout Bible verses and Bible truth? Or do they actually look more like Jesus? When someone touches their life, they actually get a taste of God's grace. When they touch their life, they get a, a, this sense of faithfulness like they'd never seen before. Okay, It's discipling people around God's character, who he is. And one of the ways that 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 happens is, uh, I like, you know, the quote that you become what you behold. The more that you're beholding who God is from the scriptures and your encounters you have maybe in worship and how God uses you and moves with you and in and through you, it's like the more you become like him. All right? Um, it's, it's walking with a further along follower who they see in you qualities that they long for. That then they can say, how do you... Why are you patient? Like, I just want to chop their head off. Like, how? And then you can tell the story. Well, this doesn't, I wish it came that I just asked the Lord, and then I woke up one morning and dew was all over my body like the grass, and all of a sudden I got up and wiped it off, and patient, it doesn't work that way. It's like, we know, why am I sitting behind this red light that now is not turning green? You know, why did I show up at the dentist's office at 9 for my 9 o'clock appointment, and I'm not getting in until 10.30? And we're not stopping to realize God uses real-life situations to build in us. But see, if you don't say, hey, help someone understand that, so instead of going, ah, sitting in the doctor's office, they're going, okay, God, I'm going to cooperate with you here. This is out of my control. You're trying to build something in me. I want to receive everything you got. Where's that Sports Illustrated? I'm going to read it from cover to cover, see? And then you allow God to build his character in you. This is one of the things that's heartbreaking to me, is that we don't see more of God's character expressed through people that call themselves followers of Jesus. Um, I'll say this to you now because I'll forget later probably, but um, to, to aid you in this, I said this to our last group too, we created an app. If you go to the app store, it's just, and you type in Lion Share Leadership Group, download that app, and on it is 366, one per day of the year. You can start anytime you want. Attributes of God's character that we talk about for two minutes. 
And if you go through it for a year, you'll cover 101 attributes of God's character three to four days each from the scriptures that will renew your mind of who he is and remind you of who he wants us to become. Okay, so that's our gift to you if it's something that you want, all right? So God's character, and then how about this one? His ways. When I say God's ways, what I mean is how God does things. Like, like you know, some of the confrontations we've had over race issues, it's not the way God would do things to just blow stuff up in people's face, to call a name and walk away. That's not, so, so we've got to learn how to walk in God's ways. One of the things, and Heather and I will talk about this tomorrow when we do our session on discipling people in light of the hot topics of the day, is we have to walk in humility and honor. We know there's love, we know there's forgiveness. I think those are truths we all know. But the only way I find reconciliation actually happening is you have to move in deep humility. Deep humility. Uh, the way I learned humility about <laughs> this area, so I, I was a, with Youth with a Mission, a YWAMer, when I was 18 to 25, and one time Lauren Cunningham had a whiteboard like this. Lauren's the founder of YWAM, and he went like this, and he, he just did this. And then he said, okay, so let's just pretend that this whiteboard represents all the knowledge in the history of the world that man could learn, and you know that much. Is there a chance you might not know? That marked me as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I guess so, right? All right. And, and we have to exercise humility like that to say, you know what, I, I don't really know what you've walked in in your shoes. I, I don't really know this. I don't. And unless you have both sides willing to walk in humility, you just don't gain ground. And then the second piece is, is honoring others. Honor has to do with the fact that God made them in his image like, how often do you just stop and look at someone, even someone that irritates the snot out of you, and you just stop and look and go, okay, i got to remind myself, this person has been made one of a kind, unique in the history of everything, in the image of God. And not only that, the blood of Jesus has been shed for them. It makes them pretty valuable. If you can walk in humility and honor in tangible ways, you can be a huge reconciler, a peacemaker. But see, if we don't disciple people to think that way, then we just you know, we end up operating out of the flesh. Okay, so that's what I mean by the ways of God, how God would do it, how God wants us to do it. And then when I refer to the mission of Jesus, I'm talking about making disciples. Okay, yes, there's reach everybody. Yes, there's minister to the poor. It all goes with it. But, but are we tethered to the character, ways, and mission of Jesus? So guys and gals, it's great that we teach doctrine. Important, important, important. But what we, we got to get after is someone's heart. So their heart looks more like Jesus. Their attitudes reflect him more. The ways they do things are, are more like God's ways, and they're about his mission. Okay? So this allows disciples to carry the heart, attitudes, words, and actions of Jesus into every setting and situation of life they find themselves. This includes families, relationships, and within their vocations. All right? I'm not going to take time uh, today to get into all these, but some of these are names that you know for things that they have done of significance. And one is a scientist, um, Faraday, who's some of the, the discoveries he made back in his day apply to the iPhone today. If he had not discovered that, we would not be able to use our iPhones today, all right? Um, Susanna Wesley, you familiar with that name, all right? She was a mom, that's what she was called to. She was called to be a mom. 
Um, you've got Corrie ten Boom. You know, she was a businesswoman and God used her to hide Jews, you know, in the midst of what was going on in Germany. Harriet Beecher Stowe, you know, author. Uh, Jackie Robinson, um, who when you read his story, there was a sincere journey with his walk with God. And Branch Rickey of the Dodgers who brought him in was a faithful Methodist. And there was a, there was a kingdom story behind how he survived what he survived. All right, William Wilberforce, you know, from England and what he did related to slavery. So you have a scientist, an author, I'm just showing you vocations, okay? A scientist, an author, yes, mom is a vocation if that's what God's called you to, all right? So if you've had kids, guess what? That's part of what you're called to if you're a female, all right? A dad if you're a male, all right? An athlete, a businesswoman, and a government leader. Each one is disciples of Jesus, contributed distinctively to making a difference in the life of an individual, a family, or a society. Okay? We were you know, encouraged today not to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And what we have to do is we've got to start recognizing that each one of us has a unique calling from God. My wife, Cheryl, who's right back there, Cheryl, when we were spending time together, getting to know each other, kind of deciding is this something long-term or not, we were YWAMers, we were missionaries. And when I would ask her, like, what do you really feel God's called you to? And she's been faithful to this to this day. And we 39 years here coming up in a few weeks for us. She said, I want to be a wife, I want to be a mom, and one day I want to be a grandmother, which now she's a nana. That's she's felt called to that. So we have not always put her out there into work environments that would hinder her priority of that, because that's what she felt called to. Okay? Um, this is an area that I, I run into a lot of young women who are almost afraid today to say that's what I want to be because they're looked at, what, what do you mean? You don't want a job? You don't want the... We've we got to throw a penalty flag there if you ever hear that and say, whoa, 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 time out. That, that is an important calling. All right? I, I like the, the lady, the, the mom who had her, you know, um, sweatpants on and her sweatshirt and her hair was kind of out of place. And she was walking in the grocery store with her two kids in the cart. And she bumped into another cart of an executive that was dressed really sharp. She was dressed really sharp and hair in place, her makeup on. And, and she, she did this look, you know, to the woman in her sweats and kind of made a comment about, you know, like, what, what are you about? She said, and she said, well, what are you about? She said, well, I, I run a potato chip company. She said, I'm discipling the next generation. The lady was, oh, we have to help moms. We have to honor moms in this area. I remember teaching a group of junior hires one time. They asked me to speak at something for, you know, 20 minutes. And part of my sewing in was just like, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? And, and you know, all kinds of things. And I said, how many of you want to be moms? Seriously, not one hand went up, not one hand. And it showed me the lack of value that we have on the family and we're reaping the consequences of that. But we just like we need to disciple people to be businessmen, we need to disciple moms to be moms. Amen? That wasn't a very loud amen. Okay. <laughs> you and I can make a real difference, a societal generational difference by connecting <clears throat> our calling with the Great Commission of Jesus. So let me just speak to this for a few minutes about, about calling. We often use words like work, job, profession, career, occupation, and vocation, thinking they all mean the same thing. However, the word vocation, or calling, excuse me, is rooted in the Latin word vocation, from which we get, the, in English, the word vocation. So there's a tie there, all right? So Jesus has intended that our vocation be a primary way of expressing our calling, all right? 
So we know that, that you have the, the Apostle Paul who blended his calling of being an apostle with his vocation of tent making. But they, it, when you look at his life, there's a blend. There's not this, well, I can't do my apostolic thing right now because I got to go raise money over here. He didn't do it that way. There was a blend in his life. And we've got to look at things in our life. And, and if those of you that are pastors, when you're speaking on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever the situation is, when you look out on your flock, do you look at them more of what they're contributing to what your calling is? Or do you look at them through the lens of, am I equipping them to fulfill their calling? It's a radical difference. Tomorrow morning we'll be talking about that area of how do you missionize your flock? And we're going to start by talking about the culture of your church. Like I have business people that have said to me, Dave, I feel like only 10% of who I am gets used in the church. I said, can you, can you explain that? He said, yeah, peop, the, you know, they want me to tithe and give, and I do. And you know, they want me to maybe teach a fourth grade Sunday school class. But they said, Dave, like I set up strategic systems for you know, multi-billion dollar companies, and I could easily come and help this thing that I keep hearing the staff all frustrated about if you just asked. But they don't want to get their nose in where they don't think they should be or don't feel wanted. And so we have to start asking those in our congregations who have these various skill sets and callings, like imagine, imagine taking 15, 20 people from, let's say you could pull out eight, eight or nine or 10 different vocations. You sat them a room, in a room and you said, hey, I just, I'm going to buy you dinner. And while you're eating, you know, I just want to ask you a question. Here's the question. How do you see our church? Ask them. How do you see our church? And how do you see your role in it in light of what God's called you to? I have a guy that, that's in our church and he'll just say, Dave, I love being here. I love worshiping. I get, it's like a filling station for me. But he said, I need that desperately because my calling is in you know, the realm here of business. And he works with the Nashville Predators and other things. And, and he said, I need to be filled up for that. So he's not coming looking for, well, how can I serve? Not, not on a bad attitude. He just wants to know, how am I supposed to fulfill the call God's given me? And, and if we don't look at our flocks that way, can I just say that is a huge swing and a miss. But don't feel bad about it. Just let the Lord speak to you. But here's why. It's because we've never been discipled to think this way. We've just been discipled to think, even through our seminaries and training, that, okay, this is all about okay, the bulletin, the announcements, the structure of the service, my three-point message, and we've never been taught this is for them. Remember, we're supposed to equip them for the work of service, but we always view it as work of service in the church building. View it as the work of service out there to where God's appointed them to serve. It's a different way to look at it. Okay? In the day we're living in, we need to mobilize. So it's not just a job you go do, it's doing God's work everywhere you go. Okay? It's important that we help people realize that, hey, you're extending the kingdom. I, the way I've often done this to model it when I was serving as a senior pastor is when I knew somebody had a new job. Sometimes we'd say, share it with the flock, and then we'd bring them up, just like a missions team, and lay hands on them. Have the pastoral team, hey, let's come lay hands on them. And we commission you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, one of my learning points on this was um, when I was a young guy in YWAM, I would speak at a church in San Jose, California. And one time I was there just over one of the meals, I was sitting next to about a 13 or 14 year old. His name was John. And uh, I said, John, like, what are you about? He said, hockey. Like this is the mid eighties in California. 
And I'm going, hockey? Like you, and he said, well, I surf too. I said, awesome. I said, well, what about hockey? And he said, there's no youth leagues here. So I said, well, how do you play? He said, I play in men's leagues. I said, what do you play? He said, I'm a goalie. So I said, so as a 13, 14, he said, oh yeah, I play in men's leagues of guys that are 20s, 30s, 40s. I, I would see John from time to time when I was at that church, and then I hadn't seen him for a couple years. And the next thing we know, Sean and I are living in Minnesota at the time, and um, we were living up in northern Minnesota in the University of North Dakota. They're, uh, they were playing the University of Minnesota. And so I turn on the game, and they're introducing the Minnesota Gophers hockey team, and they say, and in goal tonight from San Jose, California, John Blue. And I'm going, Cheryl, there's John. And John's the starting goalie for the University of Minnesota. He goes on in 1988 and plays for the U.S. Olympic team. He gets drafted. He comes over to our home a couple days after he's drafted. And he gets down on his knees in our little family room in San Jose. And Cheryl and I and a couple of our team lay hands on him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, commission him to the National Hockey League. At that time, only 3% of NHL players were uh, Christians. It was like an unreached people group. Today, that has completely changed. Okay, there's still lots of room to grow there, but you have more and more believers. I had a chance to interview at our church um, Mike Fisher, who was our, um, the Predators captain the year we went to the Stanley Cup final. He's married to you know, Carrie Underwood. And Mike is just sold out, radically committed to Jesus. And he got discipled while he was playing hockey. And so we have to realize that like, if we just look at this different we realize we're extending the kingdom constantly through the people that God has put in our flock that we are sending out. So you've got to start discipling them differently. There's the spiritual cores that we all need. You'll see that in the tool we have out here called the discipleship journey. It's kind of like the spiritual staples that you know every follower of Jesus. How do I hear God? How do I be a good relator? What the heck is spiritual warfare? How do I get in the word? Okay, all that stuff. But then there's the specifics of, okay, with their vocation, what do they need? What do they need? Okay? Calling is about God sending us into society where he wants us to represent him. It is never about just running off to do something for God or using my gifts and asking God to bless us. Rather, God is always the initiator, the one who sets our target. Okay? Some of us might still think a little bit like, but ministry is the ultimate vocation. One of the guys that discipled me, his name is Winky Prattney. He, Winky's a New Zealander, and he told me this. He said, Dave, you got to realize everybody is only one of two things. You're either a missionary or a mission field. <laughs> Puts it well, right? Yeah. You're, you're one of two. So, so regardless of where you're working, you're a missionary if you know Jesus. Okay? So here's kind of a, some imagery that I like to use when I think about calling. Calling is about sending us into society where he wants us to represent him. So when you think of your calling, and again, this isn't a be-all and end-all, but just something to get you to think. Like, what is your calling made up of? It's made up of the things you're passionate about. Like, with artists here in Nashville, at times I've had to remind them that just because you're passionate about something doesn't necessarily mean it's what you're called to do. Sometimes God gives us a passion for being because it's the thing that refuels us. Like I've always played sports my whole life, but I never thought I'd be hitting a home run in the World Series or throwing a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl, but it's still one of the most refreshing things for my life. Okay, so he's given me passion for it, but it's not necessarily connected to my calling, it's for my refreshment. All right, so just remember that. But, but, but passion is also part of your calling. Giftedness, like how has God gifted you? And I, I don't want you just to think of spiritual gifts, I want you to think of natural abilities, acquired skills, and spiritual gifts. 
Those, the combination of those three things. What is someone's natural abilities, the things that ever since they were born they've been able to do? What are their acquired skills, things they've learned from others? And then what are their spiritual gifts? That makes up the package. And that's not including their personality, their heritage, but just the package of giftedness that's there. Do you just stop at spiritual gifts or do you, do you go, okay, what are natural abilities here this person has? Which would be things like they've always been athletically good. They can always sing. They have this ability with Legos just ever since they were kids. They put them in order, you know? Those are natural abilities. Um, sometimes, like, like for me, I had to learn this, I don't know, 25 years ago, someone helped me see this. They said, Dave, you often lead through a natural ability. I said, what do you mean? They said, you're very strong relationally with people. And that tends to be how you lead is out of relationship. You don't lead out of your leadership gifts first. They follow. Or your teaching gifts, they follow. But you lead out of relationship. Unless somebody told me that, I would have never, I would have never stopped to figure that out. So I want you to think about that. Natural abilities, acquired skills. Why? Because it's all how God made us. It's not just spiritual gifts. It's all the whole package. Okay? Mandisa, who's a, a Christian artist that we've walked with over the years, one day she was in our home and she was invited to speak in Hawaii. She was excited about that. But she said, so help me. How do I present this? Because she can sing, right? She can sing. And she doesn't, she's... So I said, so have you ever considered what your spiritual gifts are so you can operate in your communication out of that? And she said, I guess I haven't. We, hadn't, we just hadn't bumped into that topic a lot. She'd been through it a little bit, but never really heart to heart. So I said, what do you think your gifts are? And so she guesses and talks. I said, can I submit to you what I have watched forever? And she said, yeah. I said, you're an exhorter. And I said, is it any wonder you won a Grammy Award for a song called Overcomer? And all of a sudden it was like, ding, 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 ding. And she was, you're right. I just, come on, we can do it. I said, exactly, there it is. And, and so I said, so now take that spiritual gift and allow that to infuse your singing, your leading concerts, your teaching. All of a sudden, her game just went up a whole nother level. Do you know that if you could do that for your vocational leaders and help them connect their spiritual gift to what they do in the vocation? Because it's not just meant for the church. It's meant to express Jesus where he's called you to serve. Game changer. Like total game changer. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. When I was a young guy, I was planning to go into television broadcasting. And when I was in Youth of the Mission, in my discipleship training school one night, I went up and I said, I need the power of the Spirit in my life. And they said, hey, Dave, before you kind of go into lordship areas, can we ask you something? You know, they knew I, I came from a good family and they said, we know you want to be married. Have you ever relinquished your rights to being married? No, I haven't. 
have you ever relinquished your rights to TV? I haven't. And so that night I laid them there at the altar. The good news is three, four years later, God brought show in my life. I never went into television. Now in the days that we're doing, you know, and today it's easy for me to do media stuff, but I never, my brother does that. He works for CBN. He's their sports guy. So he's out interviewing all the professional athletes that love Jesus. And so I can cheer him on. And, but, but it's recognizing, okay, God, are you call, what are you calling me? And I felt like the Lord said, no, I have called you to the church. And at one point in my life, um, we were at Belmont, actually. It was probably about the days you were there, Heather. And somebody came up to me, and, and somehow we were talking, and they, they found out my middle name was Kirk, David Kirk. That was my grandmother's maiden name. And they said, do you know what Kirk means in Scottish, German, and Norwegian? I said, I do not. And they said, it means church. So your name, beloved David, your name means beloved church. And I just kind of, because I knew God had called me. He's, my mom and dad loved Jesus, but they weren't smart enough to figure, we're going to call him beloved church. <laughs> but it was, it was just one of those moments that God said, even from your birth, I've marked you to serve my bride. See? So it's paying attention to those kinds of things in our life. It doesn't have to be that. You know, it's unique for all of us. Um, opportunity. God opens doors of opportunity that you maybe didn't expect or didn't see coming, and it's paying attention to, okay, God, why are you opening this door? Um, I won't have time to get into this, but in, in the book, The Great Opportunity, we spend a whole chapter on kind of out of Isaiah 6, you know, that how the, there was the upward call, you know, and where Isaiah saw the Lord, he was high and lifted up, you know, that story. And then there was the inward of woe is me, I'm undone. And then there was here, you know, here my send me. And there's this process of, of God, you know, helping us see him, then shaping us, then sending us. And I would submit we don't like anymore the shaping stage. We see something of Jesus and then we go right to scent. And because of that, we have a lot of leaders out there without character. Yeah, that's good. And we've got to spend more time helping young ones develop godly character as older ones letting God still shape our character. Because here's what I've learned. To the degree you let God shape your character, when he really wants to push the weighty stuff through you, and I, and I don't have time to get in this, but Bobby Clinton does a great job of helping us understand we don't usually hit our stride in life until somewhere in our 50s or into our early 60s. And look at Moses, 80 years of preparation for 40 years of service. Two-thirds of his life was preparation. Think about Jesus, 10 elevenths, 30 of 33 years were preparation. But we live in a society right now where we think, hey, Zuckerberg did his thing at 21, why can't I? And we have to realize God shapes his people differently than the world does. And so when I'm with 20s and 30s, I always remind them when you're in your 20s and 30s, it's more important of what God is building in you than what he's doing through you. Yep. Always. It's what is he built. So you, that doesn't mean he's not going to do great things through you because you might be on obedience in India and you step out and five people are healed and 20 come to Jesus and, and you write that in your journal. But underneath that should be, here's what I learned about God's character. Here's what I learned about That's God's good. ways. Here's what I learned about obedience in that process. Because when God goes to shoving the big stuff through you in your calling, if your character is not ready, he'll hold some of that back out of sheer love for you. And so we're living in a time, and I'm living in a city here where if you can sing, you're on a stage, and they're not, they don't consider your character. And I've had to walk with those on the backside of that who felt just kind of used and spit out for their talent. And, and you guys, we, we've got to realize that God is after, so, so can I just say it this way, regardless of our calling, 
When you come to know Jesus, the first two things that are most important to God is number one, your love relationship with him, and secondly, you being molded in the image of Christ. Your calling comes somewhere down the line. Because God can do that like that. We've all been in situations like, how did I get here? How did he open this door? Because God can do it like that. But we've got to focus more on someone's character so that what God wants to push through them, they're able to sustain what it is he wants to do through them character-wise. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. Okay. Obedience, you know, is the other one here. It's, you know, okay, what is God saying to me? This goes back to seeking God, not just saying, I want to be this. There's a phrase we use in Lion's Share a lot. It goes like this, what God initiates, he permeates. What I initiate, I have to sustain. And there's a lot of stuff out there where we think we can initiate something for God and he'll bless it. And I got to tell you, so far in my reading of the Bible, I have not found any time where someone decides to go out on their own for God to do something and he blesses it. It's just not there. What's there is God initiating Noah build an ark, Joshua walk around Jericho, Abraham leave your father and go to a land you, and then God blesses. God initiates, we follow, he blesses. It's not we initiate, ask God to bless. And so can I just say it this way to you? There may be some of you, maybe just one of you in here today, where the reality is God's been trying to show you this. And the way he's been showing it to you is you've been crashing into the wall over and over again. You're pulling up yourself up by your bootstraps. Doggone it, I'm going to do this thing. And, and if you would listen to your loving Heavenly Father, he would say this to you. Son, daughter, I never initiated this thing. Would you just let it die? I'm trying to help you here. Let it die so we can get on with what I've already called you to. We could just close in prayer on that one, right? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever paused to consider your calling, where Jesus has uniquely appointed you to serve on behalf of himself and his kingdom within society? Imagine the impact of a godly school janitor knowing he was likely the only person in the whole school who got to pray every day on the job over every seat of every student for God to bless their lives. See, we have to think about the vocations and realize God has a hand in them. I want to share one other thing here and then... Um, we'll just do a few minutes of questions. The vocations aren't just places where we work and get paid. They are meant to reflect and display various aspects of God's character through our lives as, what, as we do what we do. It's a very practical way for each of us to bring glory to God. In the book, The Great Opportunity, we, we take about a dozen vocational areas and show you how God's character is attached to them. Uh, in our last session, I used the example. For example, if you're in the area of communication, you know, and you're a writer, you're a speaker, he's called the word. He gets that, okay? We see um, in scripture, he's the builder. We talked about this of, of you know, whether it's Noah's Ark or the, or the tabernacle, he's the master builder. We see um, God as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We'll start hearing this here with Christmas rolling around those themes from Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. If there's anybody that needs help who's governing, he gets it. He governs the whole universe and has from all time. So do you think a governor might want to seek the face of God for governing insights? Is it there in the scriptures? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit want to whisper something? Yes. What about him as a creator? God is creator. You know, for the, we live in a city full of artists here, and so I like to point us how God is the creator. He's the one that makes something out of nothing, which a songwriter does. There's nothing. And then 10 hours later, there's something that's masterful, okay? That's all rooted in God's character. 
And so as you go through, very, we're familiar with he's the shepherd. Well, we get that for those that are called to the vocation of, of church life. He is the shepherd. Okay? But he's also, you know, um, the environmentalist. God made things a certain way. And if we leave this in the hands of Republicans and Democrats, as an environmental friend who loves Jesus told me, he said, we're all in trouble. He said, There's, there, God made creation to be stewarded, to serve its people, and to last for generations. But if we don't get godly people in there to, to reference God's character in ways, it's going to go goofy, just like every other of society. Okay? So I want to encourage you, because here's the thing. Once the people in your church realize, if you're the pastor, if they realize that you get it, that their calling is just as important as yours, and it's validated by who God is, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Okay? So there's a whole lot more we can get into here, but we, we've got about... 10 minutes before you need a break, and, and then um, we go into our last session. So how can we help you? What kind of questions does this provoke in you? Let's talk about it a little bit. Yes, sir. Hey, could you, would you mind just coming up and, and just saying this in the microphone, um, just so they can get it recorded, so people who listen to this who couldn't be here could hear your question? Because I know it's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if you guys had any small group material to lead people through this discussion yeah. and or sermon series. Yeah, thank you. So let me tell you a couple of things that we've got right now and things that are coming. So um, you'll see when you go out on the table out here. Um, so there's a tool that we have that's called a discipleship journey. Um, it's been used for 17 years. Many people in this room have used it. But the new edition, this green one in the middle, um, will be available here in about two or three weeks. It can be pre-ordered. And what we did is every, there's 12 topics, you cover them four weeks each, so it's 48 weeks, okay? And so you need about two hours a week, an hour that you're in the Word with the content and a video, and then an hour where you're processing it, bringing it to application with two questions. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you? How are you going to obey this in your life? So you're moving it all towards application. The third question is a vocational question. So that as you're going through this with someone spiritually, you can also pause and say, okay, what does this look like vocationally in light of the world you're in. So, for example, one of the chapters on in relationships, we deal with um, pillars of godly relationships. And one of the themes there is on honor. How do you honor someone? And the question is, as a boss, how do you honor your employees and show them their value? Or, as an employee, how are you honoring those who serve above you? Okay, so it's a place where you can get those questions every week and start wrestling those to the ground. So those are available now. Um, we are working on something called the Vocational Disciple-Making Guide. And we're creating these. The first six is probably going to be in line with something else that we're doing to help 40 to 70-year-olds connect to 20, 30-year-olds in discipling. And um, we're, we're just about done with the business one. And we're working on others in media and government, arts, entertainment, different ones. And um, those are 10 weeks long. And so the ideal would be as you go taking someone through discipleship journey, and then you could pull this thing out maybe once a month and take one of those topics and just say, hey, let's grab an extra hour here and let's just talk about this related to your vocation. So those are something that is in process right now. Um, if you're wanting to catch vision and how I could make disciples in this area, the new tool on the left, the, the great opportunity, which is content from what we've been talking about, that's what you'd want to get to help you kind of get down the road. But stay in touch with us. Um, and because uh, as new tools come out, you can, we can make them available to you. Great question. Yes, sir. Could you please put it in here? 
Thank, thank you. Uh, you mentioned the businessman who felt like he was only using 10%. And so one of the things that we're trying to do, but just curious how yeah. you've seen it impacted, is how we can ask the questions of the business leaders, whether they're in the medical professional education yep. world, mm -hmm. any of that, mm -hmm. of how the church can lend its resources, people's energy yeah. to accomplish not only the mission of what they're doing, but also the mission of the church yeah. as well. How do we facilitate that conversation better between how we can lend? Because I'm, yeah. I'm on staff at a church. Yeah. So how can we lend our strengths, abilities, resources to maybe filling gaps yeah. in those different yeah. arenas? No, that's, that's really good. And again, to fill in gaps means you need to know the gaps, right? Which means you need to have conversations. And if you don't have conversations, you don't know what those gaps are. And one of the ways that I, that I like to encourage churches to approach this is just like you have small groups, consider having vocational teams. Like, like just imagine for, for a moment, because this is where those conversations could really get nitty gritty, is imagine in your church, you know, you can say, hey, you can be a part of our typical small groups we have, or you could be, be a part of a vocational team where you'll also find community, be discipled, be able to do outreach together from that. And so you create business teams and media teams. And you know, you guys are all from different places. And so as men and women, you recognize what do we, like what goes on in our city? In Nashville, um, you know, mu the music industry is number two. Healthcare is number one. And so in Nashville, you have huge hospitals and you got Vanderbilt's you know, teaching center. And so healthcare is number one, music industry is number two. Number three is education. We have like 21, 22 now college and universities in the middle Tennessee area. So for our city, it's like, okay, those are three areas that we have to focus on because we've got a lot of people living in our area that work in those three realms. Okay. You, you know, Heather lives in DC. So obviously, you know, they're going to have government is right. What would be number two? Do you think? Is it so distant? Is it military, probably? Military. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to have, so it's different for her than it is for us here in Nashville. But if you would start by saying, you know, eventually you can broaden the thing out as broad as, you, as broad as you can go. But you want to start with what are the loudest vocations in our community where we live? And so if you figure that out, you're going to find that a lot of the people in your church are in those vocations. But imagine getting them together in teams and then you doing just like what you said. Like, like, hey, in light of what you guys do, how could we come alongside and serve you? I mean, we better call the medical teams because they'll be having heart attacks. Like, what do you mean? You always tell us what we should do for you. You're asking, you know? But, but imagine that. And then here's, here's Dave's dream. Imagine if every church in a city did this and you had vocational teams. Guess what would happen when there's disasters? when there's needs and those churches could interconnect those teams, the media teams all connect with the media teams of other churches. Hey, here's how we need to help this. Okay, or you got the business guys who are all rallying and gals saying, okay, here's what we need to do. So, so, but that's a, in the nitty gritty of conversation to get what you're after, think about that. And so just start with one, like what's the loudest one in your church and then go, and it doesn't mean you all come, cattle call necessarily, but you might say, I'm gonna pick 10 to 12. And I just want to begin to have a conversation. You just start with one because then guess what? You got your model. Then you can go to number two and then, and then you can keep tweaking the model. So food for thought. One more. We got time for one more question. Anything else? Yes, sir. Would you mind 
asking that in here? You mentioned that we use job and vocation and various other terms. So what do we do for folks who feel a disconnect between vocation and what they get paid for? Yeah, thank you. That is a very good question. So I run into people like this a lot. And, and let me just tell you my history with it. Oftentimes it's nobody told me that I should be thinking different. And so because they offered me this job and I knew it paid me $80,000 a year, I just took it. So I'll say, just not to condemn, but I'll just to start probing. It's like, did you ever wait on the Lord about that? No. I just took it because it met a need. Got it. So you're being faithful to help your family. Yes, you can affirm them there. But I've just laid the seed of, did you wait on the Lord about that? Like I... I it's kind of how we disciple people. It's like, do you not think God is interested in where you spend 40 to 60 hours a week? And so, so with people that are wrestling with it, and, and the cool thing for me is this book came out in the middle of a time that I was reading. You know, none of us were smart enough to do this. It, it was just interesting to me that with COVID, they say the huge population, a huge amount of our population right now is really rethinking everything they do in their 40 to 60 hours because of how things shut down, changed. I lost my job. So people are rethinking. So when I have an opportunity, I'll just say, have you asked the Lord and have you considered natural abilities, acquired skills, spiritual gifts? Have you considered things like this? When you do certain things, where do you find God's favor? When you do certain things, where does the grace of God land on you? Like for me, you guys, I do not have a grace to fix cars. Like, like, like my friend Andrea came over one day and visited Cheryl and I. We talked, whatever it was about, and at the end she hugs us, says goodbye. She goes out our front door. Fifteen seconds later, knock, knock, knock. She's at the door. She said, my car won't start. Will you come and look at it? So I go out. I find where you pop the hood. I pop the hood, and I'm just standing there going like this. And, and Andre's got a good sense of you, and she starts smiling. She says, you don't know what you're looking for, do you? I, you didn't say come and fix it. You said come look at it. <laughs> and so we had, a, we had a good laugh, and then she came inside and called the person. You know, it's like, but then there's Robbie who has fixed Cheryl's in my car. I'm just amazed. Like, like he can pull stuff out, calls it all by name, lays it out, fixes it, adds the new piece, shines it up, puts it in. I, I turn it on. Wow, it works. There's some people gifted that. And see, we have to learn to appreciate people gifted unlike us. Unlike us. And we have to begin to, you know, look at how God you know, God can use them. So if you get somebody that's in a situation you're saying and they're going, like, I have a passion for this, and I think God's calling me to this, but this is where I'm stuck. It's worth really having a conversation, just, just pastor, pastoring them through it. I'll illustrate it with this and I'll close. So I have a friend by the name of Tim from Pittsburgh. I do something called Life Plan. This is also, just put it in your back pocket, um, that is a two-day eight in the morning to five in the afternoon, two days in a row where I help someone sort out calling. And Tim came, and we, so we spent two days together. He's a very successful attorney, knows what he's doing, steady, eddy kind of character. And he's sitting there with me, and on day one, we get to this thing called thinking wavelength, which is just, are you a grinder, minder, um, keeper, finder, or conceiver? Where, where are you? And Tim, Tim tested out, and he was a, kind of a little bit on the right side of a minder. And he, and all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, and, and I saw his eyes get big, he goes, oh, oh, it was kind of like that revelation moment for him. And he goes, now I know why I don't like what I do. I said, why? Because he said, I'm doing grinding work. 
I'm having to work on this street in Pittsburgh where I have to do code 6.5.43.92 and I'm doing that. And he said, it's driving me nuts because I'm not spending any time with people. And what we found is when someone spends more than about a year in that place outside of kind of that broad zone, you start dying physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all that. You just, you were not made for it. So I just want you to think about the fact that the last number I saw was somewhere between 70 and 80% of people do not like their jobs. They do it for the paycheck, but they do not like that's guys, 40 to 60 hours a week is a lot of time. I forget, Sonia did the math for me, but I think over a lifetime, it was 90,000 hours of somebody who'd worked like 45 years, 90,000 hours. And one of the things that we need to you know, come back and realize is Jesus has called us to things. He's made us. He's wired us to do things a certain way, which means in humility, we got to be honest and say, don't, you don't want to put me under a car. I'll look at it and go, wow, what's that squiggly thing? I won't be able to tell you what it is. Okay? But you put me in other settings and I flourish. And so one of the things we can do is help people realize by asking questions like, you know, what are you passionate about? Uh, what do you have grace for? Like, where are some of your skill sets? Because God had you on a journey. The Apostle Paul under Gamaliel, he had no idea at the time under Gamaliel that he would be called the Apostle Paul. But God was loading him up for things. And so it's really pastoring, conversing with people, and helping them discover those places. So in this season, there's a lot of realignment going on. So this is as good a time as any to say, you know what? Are you willing? Is God showing you something? Yeah, I need to leave this comfortable X amount of your job because God's asking me to do this, which means then obedience wins the day, which means in the long run, whatever he's got in mind, he'll be able to bless you in that. So good question. So thanks, you guys, for coming. Darren's back there if you need to take a peek at resources. Tomorrow morning, we'll talk about missionalizing your congregation to help you with this. We'll look at the culture of your flock. And then Heather and I and Mel tomorrow will deal with hot topics. Like how do you disciple your flock in a day where there's all kinds of hot topics, okay? All right, thanks you guys, blessings. My goodness, that was fantastic stuff from Dave Buring. Hope that you enjoyed that. One thing that stood out to me was he said, what God initiates, he permeates. And what I initiate, I have to sustain. That's powerful stuff, very convicting stuff there. I hope that you got a lot out of that episode. Hey, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please hit subscribe, and I would love to invite you to the forum on October 5th and 6th. You can go to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets now. I really, really hope that you'll do that because I'd love to see you out there. All right, everybody, have a great day, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Mm